0: Hi friends, this is the Maundy Thursday worship experience from Bel Air United Methodist Church. I'm Sean, I'm the pastor of the church. This is a new thing we're trying, so let me say a little bit about what you can expect here as you listen. I'll be leading us through some prayers and scripture readings and reflections, and there's music throughout that I hope will help you connect with God in a deep and wonderful way. My prayer is that this will be a worship experience for you. Wherever you happen to be listening, whether that's at your desk, on a walk, out in the garden, wherever you are. Whatever you do to put yourself in a spirit of worship, whatever you do to get yourself ready for worship, I invite you to do that now. So in the church calendar, today is called Maundy Thursday. It's the Thursday right before Easter, and it's the day when the church remembers the last evening that Jesus shared with his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion. Maundy Thursday marks three key events. First is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Second is Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. And third is his new commandment, to love one another, that he gives his disciples in John chapter 13. In fact, the name Maundy Thursday comes from the Latin phrase Mandatum Novum, which means new commandment. In other words, today is a new commandment Thursday. And if we were together today, gathered for worship in the sanctuary, we'd be gathered around the Lord's table, preparing to celebrate Holy Communion. We can't do that right now. We can't do that in a podcast, and that makes me sad, because personally, Holy Communion is an incredibly meaningful experience every single time. It's a means by which God offers grace to us. It's a way in which Christ is really present with us and to us. You've made me you've maybe heard me talk about holy communion as food for the journey. So I'm glad that we are so I'm sad that we're not together around the Lord's table tonight. It's a piece of our life together as a church that's just plain missing during this season. But it would be a mistake for us to think that somehow God is unable to provide for his people, that somehow God is unable to pour grace into our lives, that Christ is somehow hindered from being present with us, just because we're not with certain people in a certain place with a pastor saying certain words. Of course God is able to provide for God's people in this season and in every season. Of course God's grace still abounds as we build new routines and work to combat this global pandemic. Of course Christ is able to be present with us regardless of current circumstances. Christ is present with you right now. But if you're missing that experience of Holy Communion in the same way that I am, let me encourage you. Next time you sit at a table with some type of bread to eat, next time you sit down with a glass of wine, pause and remember Christ. Pause and remember God's love, which in Christ is poured out for you. There's actually a really old tradition in the church called the love feast. It was meant to be like communion, but not communion. So the people would gather at a table and eat sweet rolls, and they'd drink cups of water, and they would share stories of God's grace and provision, all the ways that they had felt or seen or received God's love in recent days. So... Next time you're at a table with some bread or a sweet roll, next time you have a glass of wine or a bottle of juice or just a cup of water, pause and remember God's love for you. That's part of what Maundy Thursday is all about, a reminder that Christ loved his disciples and welcomed them all to his table. And there's an invitation to the table that I sometimes use on Sunday mornings. It goes like this. Here at the table, Jesus is the host. Those who wish to serve him must first be served by him. Those who want to follow him must first be fed by him. This is the place where God intends for us to be nourished. This is the time when Christ can make us new. So come, you who hunger and thirst for a deeper faith, for a better life, for a fairer world. come. You who have much faith, and you who have little. You who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow, and you who have failed. Come, not because it is I who invite you. It is our Lord. It is his will that those who want him should meet him now. Here's an old hymn written in 1759 by a guy named Joseph Hart. It's called Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. Let this song sink into you.
1: you cherry
0: The psalmist declares, I love the Lord, because He has heard my voice and my supplications, because He inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call on Him as long as I live. Friends, we are a community and a people in need of a Savior. So we offer this honest confession in faith and trust in our God, knowing that God hears our voice. Merciful God, we have not loved you with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. Lord, have mercy. We have not loved our neighbors as you have taught us. Christ, have mercy. We have been indifferent to the saving grace of your word and life. Lord, have mercy. Forgive and heal us by your steadfast love, made known to us in the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. My favorite line from that song we just heard is, If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. In other words, if you wait until you've got it all figured out, before you go to God, You just will never get there. You don't need to fix yourself before you can call out to God. You don't have to get your act together in order for God to want you or welcome you. The scriptures say that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, which is proof that God loves us. We don't need to save ourselves, because Jesus can do that. So, if there's something that's weighing on you, if there's a way that sin has crept into your life, or if you're just feeling like there's a barrier between you and God, offer that up to God now as you listen to this second song about God's readiness to receive you. IT for you now one of the scripture stories that is regularly tied to Maundy Thursday. It's the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It's from John chapter 13. Here it is, starting in verse 1. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example, that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So let's talk about this scripture. And let me start with a quick story. For the past several months, my car has had a leaky front tire, a very slow leak. So much, uh, it's, it's sort of the case now that once a month or so, it gets low enough on air that I can see the tire is getting a little squatty. So once a month or so, I'll fill the tire up with air. At a gas station or in the garage or something. My son has been with me on a couple of occasions when I've had to fill up the tire, and this most recent time he asked, Why don't you just get that fixed? He's got a point, but frankly, I've just kind of gotten used to it. And you see, you can get used to almost anything after a while. We're all learning, as this COVID-19 pandemic circles the globe, that we can get used to new things, even if we would never choose those things if we had a choice. Standing in line to get into the grocery store, wearing face masks, washing your hands 600 times a day, working from home, setting up school for your kids at home, you can get used to almost anything after a while. You find coping mechanisms and support networks and carefully honed techniques that can relieve your frustration, somehow you adapt. You adapt to the new normal. I guess that makes it easier to understand how we get used to the fact that we humans had the Lord of heaven and earth in our midst, Jesus, and we contrived, or were at least complicit in the plot, to crucify him you'd think that would be a fact we never get used to. But we're an awfully resilient bunch, and we really can get used to anything after a while. And perhaps we are able to get used to the story of Jesus' life and Jesus' death and all the astonishing things he did because we tell his story in such a way that we insulate ourselves from most of the truth it tells and most of the consequences it implies for our lives. This footwashing scene from John's Gospel is one of those places, one of those places where we have insulated ourselves from the truth that it tells and insulated ourselves from the implications it could have for our lives. In the story, John gives us two unmistakable signals that this activity, this footwashing, is to be understood as the defining symbol of Jesus' entire ministry. First. At the beginning of chapter 13, John says, "...having loved his own, he loved them to the end." The word end is deliberately ambiguous here. It means end in the sense of final purpose or goal, but it also means end in the sense of conclusion, like the end of the story. And both meanings are significant, and purposeful, this last supper with its meal and foot washing is both the conclusion and the purpose of the Jesus story. In other words, pay attention. It's saying this is the important part. If you want to know what Jesus is all about, here it is. You are about to find out. The second signal is that in his account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, John offers us a summary of Jesus' whole life. Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his robe, and puts on a towel. In other words, he leaves heaven, that's the table, puts aside his trappings of divinity, that's the robe, and takes human form, putting on a towel. In the story, Jesus faces a challenge from Peter just as he faces challenge in his ministry. He offers teaching and prophecy just like he does throughout the gospel story. He asks questions, provides an example, just like he does in Galilee and on his journey to Jerusalem. Then he puts back on his robe and returns to the table, just as he will return to heaven and sit at the right hand of God. The foot-washing scene is something like the highlight video of the gospel story. It's a summary of all that Jesus is about. But there are two ways to read this story. And understand how it applies to our lives. One way that makes us feel good. In other words, it's the gospel we want to hear. And one way that makes us feel, well, not so good. The gospel we don't want to hear. The first way to read the story is to look at Jesus washing the feet of the disciples and say, You know, it is good to be humble. By all means, let's go and be big shots in business or industry or medicine or education, but let's not forget to give something back. Let's not forget to think about the little guy. You know, it's good to help out at the homeless shelter or read to the first grader or raise money for that worthy nonprofit. And we've got a way of naming this sort of thinking. We call it service. We speak of servant leadership or servant ministry. We love the way that Jesus, who was a very busy man after all, not to mention very high up in the organization, we love the way that Jesus takes time out for others. Sure, maybe he didn't get the salary some people get paid these days, but he was the son of God, so you've got to admit he was in a pretty high status position. And we admire the way that Jesus sets such a good example, that no matter how important you are, it's good to put in a bit of service. That's the gospel we want to hear. It's a gospel in which Jesus doesn't change our lives, but really affirms them, because he gave his life to make sure we don't have to give ours. We make sure to show our gratitude and humility now and then by giving back and serving and getting down on our knees and doing a little foot washing, at least in a figurative way. And I guess you can get used to almost anything after a while. This is how we've gotten used to Jesus's astonishing action at the last supper. We found the way, we found a way to read the story as a benevolent, feel-good, easy-to-swallow gospel of personal development and social service. Now don't get me wrong, I'm all for service. I'm all for reading to elementary school children and serving at homeless shelters and going on mission trips, and I really do believe that Jesus will say to me and to all of us someday, whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. But in this foot-washing story, there is also a gospel that we, well, don't want to hear. In chapter 13 of John's gospel, Jesus gets on his knees and washes the disciples' feet. Just a chapter earlier, Mary of Bethany gets on her knees, and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. There are several reasons why her actions are scandalous. The perfume she uses is a huge waste of money. There's an intimacy about it all that's just inappropriate for the time. But Jesus praises Mary for one single reason. She alone has realized that Jesus is about to die. She's washing his feet to prepare his body for burial. And now here we are, just one chapter later, and we've got a second foot-washing scene. The gospel we want to hear urges us to read this story as a lesson in humility, a lesson in servant leadership. But the gospel in front of us here in John 13, whether we want it or not, says that this footwashing scene means pretty much exactly what the first foot-washing scene meant. Jesus is saying, Mary prepared me to die. Now, I'm preparing you to die. When we read the story this way, we're able to make sense of some of the curious things that both Peter and Jesus say. Peter says to Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Fair enough, Peter doesn't want to die, we can't blame him for that. But listen to Jesus' reply. Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, unless you are willing to die with me, You can't expect to be raised with me. So Peter presses on. Okay, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus replies, one who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. Both Peter and Jesus are talking about baptism. Baptism prepares us for life, but foot washing prepares us for death. Peter is saying, wash me all over, Jesus, baptize me again. And Jesus is saying, no, Peter, you've been baptized. You've already passed from death of old self to new life with me. You don't need to be baptized again. All that needs washing right now is your feet. And that's because washing your feet is preparing you to die, which is just another way of saying that washing your feet is preparing you to face the full consequences of your baptism. That's what Jesus means when he says, one who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. You only need baptism once, but you need foot washing pretty frequently. A reminder of where our call ultimately leads. Otherwise, baptism becomes something you find a way of getting used to. Let's keep going a little further in the story and see what Jesus says when he returns to the table. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. This doesn't fit with the humble service interpretation of this story. Humble servants don't go around saying this kind of thing. They play down their titles. They use words like colleague and teammate, not boss, let alone Lord. Here, though, Jesus is quite clear that he is the boss. He is the Lord, which means he gets to say, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also Ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, if I've been preparing you to face death, you need to get into the habit of preparing one another to face death. Here then are two fundamental moments in our Christian life baptism is the beginning, the moment when we pass from death to life, the moment when the power of death ceases to dominate our imaginations, and foot washing is the end the moment when we are prepared to face death, the moment when we help one another face the consequences of our baptism. Have you washed any feet lately? Have you prepared anyone for death? Have you helped anyone face the true consequences of their baptism? Has anyone done that for you? None of us deep down really want to hear this gospel. We want church to be about making friends and feeling spiritual and offering service. We don't really want it to be about preparing one another for death. Jesus speaks the truth to those who have power. And the truth takes him to the cross. He calls us to follow him. He says simply and unambiguously, I have set an example that you also should do as I have done to you. And if we do indeed follow him, we shall go to the cross too. For the first disciples, that meant nails and wood and asphyxiation and agony. For us, it probably won't mean that. But it may mean being humiliated and mocked because we tell the truth of the gospel, because we speak up against politicians and policies that threaten the least prosperous and most vulnerable among us. It may mean that we become objects of scorn and derision because we speak up against a culture that values money more highly than human lives. It may mean that we lose our friends because we won't stand for another sexist joke or racist comment. It may mean that we subject ourselves to violence against our person and property because we stand up to those who are powerful and declare that the living God is always on the side of life and justice and truth no matter how much security or profit is at stake. It may mean imprisonment or restrictions on travel or speech or education. Those are the consequences of our baptism. This is what happens to people when they spend their lives devoted to Jesus, to reconciliation and justice and healing and truth, to following Jesus all the way, no matter what. We don't want that gospel. We want the feel-good service thing instead. It's so much nicer. But tonight, on this Maundy Thursday, Jesus wants to wash our feet. And we're not used to that yet. He's been preparing for death for a while. And it's time for him to prepare us. Are we ready to start preparing? Jesus is kneeling before us, ready to wash our feet. Because he loves us to the end. Do we want what he wants? Do we want Jesus? Do we love him? Will we love to the end?
2: What wondrous love is this O oh, my soul What wondrous love On, I'll sing on, and through eternity. I'll sing on.
0: Let's pray. God of love, it is because of your love for us that you stooped down to be our servant and willingly suffered to give us life. For that love, we give you thanks. We also praise you for the ways that we see and experience and know your love in creation. And in our community. And in our church. And in our families and friendships. And in the difficult events of this Holy Week. God of love, you have given us a new command to love each other. Help us to show that love in our care of creation and to the nations of the world and to our nation and its leaders and in this community through the Church in every place, and especially to those with particular needs caused by this current global pandemic. In all our thoughts and actions, may we be your servants and reflect your love. We pray this in the name of your servant, Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and who lives and reigns with you forever. Amen. Let me read one more scripture story, again from John 13. This is the new commandment. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. We
1: are one in the Spirit We are one in the Lord We are one in the Spirit We are one in the Lord And we pray that our unity Will one day be restored And they'll know we are Christians By our love, by our love Yeah, they'll know Christians by our love. We will work with each other, we will work side by side, we will work with each other, we will work side by side, and we'll guard each other's dignity and guard each other's. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our-
0: Good night everyone. Thanks for worshiping with Bellard United Methodist Church. See you soon.